Welcome to Humanize from Discovery Institute's Center on Human Exceptionalism, where human rights meet human responsibilities. We speak with writers, thinkers, and newsmakers on the controversial issues of human life and human thriving that impact our daily lives. We are exceptional as creatures in the cosmos, as equal members of the human family, and as ethical beings. Humanize explores some of the fundamental questions. How do we thrive? How do we live well and care for what we've inherited? How do we act responsibly with one another and in the wider world? And how do we conserve the good things of this life for the future? We matter. Our actions matter. Let's get into it. I'm Wesley J. Smith, and this is Humanize. In this episode of Humanize, we are going to take a deep dive into the human rights atrocities being committed by the Chinese Communist Party, focusing mostly on religious persecution. I am honored to have one of the world's foremost experts on this topic as my guest. An international human rights lawyer for over 30 years, Nina Shea directs the Hudson Institute Center for Religious Freedom. Shea undertakes scholarship and advocacy in defense of those persecuted for their religious beliefs and identifies on behalf of diplomatic measures to end religious repression and violence abroad, whether from state actors or extremist groups. Shea was appointed by the U.S. House of Representatives to serve seven terms as a commissioner on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom from June 1999 through March 2012. During the Soviet era, Shea's first client before the United Nations was Soviet Nobel Peace Laureate Andrei Sakharov. Since then, she's been appointed as a U.S. delegate to the United Nations' main human rights body by both Republican and Democratic administrations. Shea played a leading role in building grassroots support for the adoption of the International Religious Freedom Act in 1998. In 2014, she initiated and helped lead a coalition of hundreds of prominent American religious leaders to issue the Pledge of Solidarity for Persecuted Iraqi, Syrian, and Egyptian Christians and other minorities, which was released by a bipartisan congressional panel. Her most recent book, which she co-authored, is Persecuted, The Global Assault on Christians, published by Thomas Nelson Publishers. She regularly presents testimony before Congress, delivers public lectures, organizes briefings and conferences, and writes frequently on religious freedom issues. Her writings have appeared in the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, CQ Researcher, Weekly Standard, National Review Online, CNN, Fox, The Daily Beast, Huffington Post, and Real Clear World, among others. Of the Chinese Communist Party, she has written, quote, The ultimate goal is to eradicate religion by either squeezing or crushing it out. Close quote. Nina, welcome to Humanize. Great to be with you, Wesley. Thank you for having me and shining the spotlight on this really a v- very underreported issue. And especially important, I think, as we approach the Olympics. Yes, I agree. And we'll get into the Olympics in a little bit. Uh, before we get into the meat of our conversation, though, I want people to get to know you a little bit. What led you to focus so much of your energy and over so many years on religious freedom? I saw very quickly in my career, and I'm a lawyer by background, that um, religion uh, around the world is an extremely important issue. In fact, it's a strategic issue. And that the governments who um, persecute, who are among the worst persecutors of religion, governments like China or North Korea, um, they... um, they are often threats to the United States as well. So, um, I, you know, I, I, I'm a religious person myself um, as a Christian, uh, but it, it was really nothing personal in my background that compelled me to do this. It was uh, a sense that these religious believers are, um, and leaders, religious leaders of all stripes, tend to be um, in every country the backbone of civic society. 
And even in those countries that are very repressive and don't have a civic society, their voices are the ones that um, uh, are, are voices of dissent in, in some cases and in important cases. And so, you know, for all those reasons, I thought that this was a very important issue that was also being oh, neglected by secular human rights groups and secular governments. And it really is a it's a it's a crucial human rights issue. In fact, it's it's considered uh, sometimes the first human right in in uh, human rights documents. Well, it's the first human right in the U.S. Constitution, and um, it's uh, a linchpin. It's um, of America's. Um, culture, uh, political history, uh, legal uh, experience, um, and our social history. So it is a a really foundational right and um, one that the United States leads in um, around the world within its own borders and is the one that, in the United States, is the one that often is the first to champion it abroad if anybody's going to champion it. So it's, it's very important. What is the scope of the work encompassed by the Center on Religious Freedom over there at the Hudson Institute? Well, Hudson is based in Washington, D.C., a few blocks from the White House and a few blocks from Congress. So, of course, our focus is foreign policy. And so I look at religious freedom um, from a, through a foreign policy lens. And um, we um, are, are looking at these uh, both extreme Islamist uh, regimes and situations where, like Afghanistan today, where there is no religious freedom. Um, people of uh, who do not share the beliefs of the Taliban um, are put to death and um, are trying to escape in droves, for example. Um, and also uh, communist regimes, the remaining you know quasi-communist regimes of um, uh North Korea and China, and um, and and also other authoritarian uh, governments. So uh, we we move from hotspot to hotspot, Wesley, <laughs> as as the situation requires. And and you advise uh, government, you advise private sector, and so forth. Correct. Yeah, so I advise um, the State Department, um, feed information to the State Department, and analysis as well as and recommendations, and testify before Congress. Let's look at the People's Republic of China, which, of course, is going to be our focus today. Uh, That government is repressing the Uyghur Muslims. They're repressing the Falun Gong. They're repressing Christians and Tibetan Buddhists, just to name four. Uh, It seems to me these pogroms, because that's what they are, are so pervasive because that it actually amounts to a human rights crisis internationally because of China's influence in the world and the number of countries and and private businesses that are are dealing with China. Um, Am I overstating the case there? No, I I think that's correct. I think China has declared war on religion. um, Since the Mao period, they've wanted to eliminate religion, but they thought it would wither away on its own. And um, to some extent, after Mao's death and his um, the new regime, they uh, tolerated certain religions. Um, and Christianity was one and Islam and Buddhism and Taoism. Uh, Christianity was divided into two Catholics and Protestants. So they were tolerated. And it came to the point where even underground churches were well known, were able to construct um established buildings, some of which were very large, attracting large congregations in the cities. And um, it, it was always restricted, always the, the, the Communist Party of China always tried to assert its control, but it was sporadic, it was inconsistent. Now it's completely different under uh, Xi Jinping. He uh, came in and um, by 2017 and 2018, he was calling for the sinicization, as he calls it. It's a very bland term, sinicization of religion, as well as everything else. And But for religion in specific, uh, specifically, that meant there, there had to be a communist indoctrination of uh, religious communities, that their leaders had to base their sermons and teachings on she's sayings as well as uh, communist party doctrine that they had to remove religious symbols from their houses of worship 
on the exterior so no one would know what a, a mosque or a synagogue uh, was, uh, not a synagogue, well, there is a few synagogues, but uh, churches and synagogues would be, uh, you know, would be, would be there. Um, by uh, 1999, they um, became very frightened, uh, the, the, the Communist Party, that is, the Communist regime, became very frightened at the size and growth of a, a Buddhist revivalist movement, Falun Gong. And that's when they uh, announced that this religion that they had, or spiritual practice, whatever you want to call it, um, was intolerable and that it had spread too broadly within the society. And the government said that Falun Gong had 70 million members, which it had tolerated through the 90s. Which is interesting when you consider that China has 1 billion people. Yes. That they were actually threatened by 70 million practitioners of, of a, uh, it's not even necessarily theistic. That's right. It's more of a spiritual mind-body, uh, spiritual practices of meditation. Um, they had, uh, the problem, Wesley, was that there were only 90 million uh, members of the Communist Party at the time. So they they felt that they, it was growing in popularity beyond communism. And this was the time when the economy was taking off as well, was liberalizing and beginning to grow and got most fair nation status and was entered into the w, um, the tw World Trade Organization. Uh, so they uh, went about starting to crush that organization. And of course, they had been trying to, um, they were very suspicious of ethnic minorities. Uh, they wanted to uh, one culture, a conformity, as they call it. They are not shy about saying that, conformity with Communist Party, everything, doctrine, symbols, beliefs, practices. It sounds to me like you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, that there seems to be a um, dovetailing in the Chinese Communist Party. And I, I want to make it clear, we're not talking about Chinese people, we're talking about the Chinese Communist Party between sort of a racism against ethnic minority groups in China, which is a huge country, obviously, and those who might have a belief system that they would look to before they would look to the government's policies in terms of meaning and in terms of how to live their lives. Is that right? Yeah, more or less. I mean, one thing, you know, a couple caveats, um, they have different excuses for every single religious community there. So, nothing suits them except their own doctrine. So that, that part I agree with. Um, these, um, they want a monopoly of thought. Um, they want to monopolize ideology and, and, and consolidate total political control in the Communist Party. Um, and, and by the way, they, they, in the last couple of years, essentially achieved this by um, moving the state oversight bodies for religion that have existed all this time under their rule into the Communist Party. So now religions are formally overseen by the United Front Work Department of the, of the Communist Party and, and extent to, to more or less extent controlled by them. Um, but they also went after these ethnic minorities that are um, along the borders of China that they felt uh, politically insecure about. And some of them had separatist movements and, um, you know, small, not very successful ones, but they they felt very threatened by that. So they decided to eliminate um, these groups. And and right now we're seeing in the Western Xinjiang um, uh, area uh, where the Muslims, ethnic Muslims, or Turkic Muslims, Uyghurs and Kazakhs reside, um, we're seeing them being um, uh, deported from there into other regions of China. We are seeing the majority Han people being sent to go live there, to live in their own homes, to forcibly marry their women, um, and population control measures used against the um, Uyghur minority. Uh, so this is an advanced medical way of dealing with um, population that they don't want to exist. It's genocide. So, so the Uyghurs are, are being... Uh forced relocation, which takes them away from their communities. The women are being forced into marriage with uh, ethnic Chinese men. Is that right? Correct. And uh, as I understand it, uh, there are forced uh, sterilizations and abortions going on against the Uyghurs? 
Yes. And, and that was identified by the State Department by uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo in 2020, early 2020, looking at government, Chinese government figures. And so they looked at the data and saw that the um, population growth rate of this uh, Muslim area had just plummeted in one year. And it, that gave uh, credence to testimony by uh, women survivors uh, that they had been uh, subject to forced abortions and sterilizations. And, and they're also using rape as a political weapon, aren't they? They're using rape in uh, the detention system, in their massive detention system, concentration camps, actually. Let, let's talk about the concentration camps, because this brings to me, um, I call China the Fourth Reich right now. And I got the idea because of these massive concentration camps and the and the profound evil that's going on. Explain what's happened there and how many people are caught up in this. In uh, around uh, 2019, uh, the state, I think it was military, uh, U.S. military um, satellite images showed a massive complex in Xinjiang that <laughs> sprung up overnight and they estimated that between one and three million people could be housed in this complex. It was so large. Uh, at that point... That's the size of a city. Yeah. So st- the, the Chinese, for the first time at that point, at first you know, denying this, um, acknowledged that they existed and said that they were there to uh, re-educate. There were vocational training camps for this backward, as they call it, backward and, and um, uh, ex- you know, uh, Muslim population that they feared would become extremist. It also, that region sits on their Belt and Road in the smack in the middle of their Belt and Road um, initiative. So they don't uh, want... What, what is that? That's an economic um, development um, uh project that they have around the world to develop infrastructure um, connecting China to all parts of the world that they want to be in. So they, um, uh, you know, came up with this idea that there was a, a serious terror threat that must be controlled through these vocational training It's camps. a pretext. These were, that it was, was a, a pretext. pretext. That's what they told the West. I yep. mean, this, they have been nothing but uh, deceptive and um, you know, really outright lying about what they've, their abuses. They talk very proudly, Wesley, you talked about their authoritarian model that they're trying to project on the world and trying to convince is superior to democracy around the world. But yet they are unwilling to reveal the um, really monstrous coercion needed to carry it out. So this is part of that deception to um uh, control everything, but not to reveal what it takes to do that. And it t- takes a concentration camp complex where a million or more people are held against their will and they are brutalized inside with this systematic rape for the women and sometimes men um, and tortured through tiger chairs, which is um, you know maintaining postures and positions uh, for days on end. In one case, it killed somebody that I, a case I read about. Um, they, the, just that posture torture alone and beatings and drugs and sleep deprivation. And, um, so and meanwhile, with no due process, let me ask you, what is the end goal of that? I mean, they, uh, they're not, it's not a, it's not Auschwitz in the sense it's not a death camp. It's not Birkenau. They're not just gassing people, but they're torturing people. And are they trying to get them to ex- to reject Islam? Are they trying to get them to accept Communist Party ideology? What is the what is the goal here? Well, it's all of that. They want them to um, uh, drop Islam. They have already eradicated sixty five percent of the mosques in the Uyghur region, according to satellite imagery that's been examined by analysts. Um, and they um, uh, are not allowed to to uh, wear religious garb, have beards. Um, And and so it is reminiscent of what the Nazis did, except for the gas chambers. What they're doing instead to hide what their their purpose is to to really eliminate them any way they can. Um, 
And, and by the way, there, there, there are these documents that have just surfaced and been analyzed that were classified CCP documents where they quote she, the president, saying, have no mercy, go after them and um, hold, show no mercy. Uh, so that, that um, they, by any means possible. And, and these people have not done anything except have a religion and be of a particular ethnic uh, ethnicity. Yeah, these people have never been tried or, um, you know, had any due process. Uh, there's, uh, there, you know, million people. There, uh, there were a couple terror incidents a couple years ago, but they were relatively small inside China. And um, uh, th- so these are innocent people who are being uh, punished um, and trying to. They're being destroyed. That's what genocide is under the convention. They're being destroyed. Um, for their religious um, faith and beliefs and identity. Um, they do another th- thing that we just talked about, which does really violate the um, I- explicit terms of the UN Genocide Convention. They're uh, controlling their population. They're eliminating them slowly uh, from generation to generation through this method of forced abortion and forced sterilization and forced marriage and by um, separating families you know, hundreds of thousands, 900,000, according to the State Department, of their children have been taken from their families and sent to boarding schools run by the majority um, Han population and indoctrinated with communist doctrine and, and told. And, and deprived of religious upbringing uh, as, as Muslims. Uh, yes, and an identity as, as Turkic, you know, ethnic groups. And and also from what I've read that there are um, Uyghurs being sent around the country as basically slave laborers. Is that happening? Yes, um, and that is um, also one of their uh, ways. Uh, it, it's really so evil. I mean, what they're doing is monetizing their repression. They are they the Communist Party and the prison system have collaborative arrangements with private businesses. And they're, uh, what they say, they're placing the graduates of these vocational uh, training schools into jobs. But what they're really doing is making them, turning them into forced laborers in factories, producing polysilicon for most of the world's supply of um, solar panels uh, for the green energy industry and um, clothing and consumer electronics and other other uh, factories. And this is actually from reports I've read that some of the world's largest corporations may be the beneficiaries of this kind of forced labor. Yes. And um, fortunately, the House today um, in, in December has now passed the, um, the, the Uyghur Anti-Slave Act. The Anti-Forced Labor Act. The Senate has already passed it, so there will be a bill on this uh, banning these things from the United States. But I'm concerned because they are being sent all over China. So it's no longer just being sent um, as they were to factories and fields within Xinjiang, where you knew where the products were coming from. But but they're being they're, these slave laborers are now being sent from the detention camps directly, according to um, Radio Free Asia investigator. A report directly to factories throughout Asia, uh, throughout China. So they're being transported from the prison camps into factories and separated from their families. By the way, I think you made you made two very important points. One is you used the word evil, which I think this absolutely qualifies as. I mean, we, uh, I've often tried to define evil as treating any human being as an object. And these people are being treated as objects in the most crass way. And second, you said they're monetizing their repression. I think that's a very evocative term, and I think it's quite accurate. Not only are they destroying these peoples, but they're making a lot of money from doing so. Yeah, they're they're um, using it to their advantage to um, in their in their plan to be the the largest economy, the world dominant power. So. Um, they, and, and the scale is staggering. Uh, There are hundreds of thousands that are being used in this way uh, of slave laborers. Um, 
So um, the the area is being destroyed as an, an ethnic Uyghur area. The community is being destroyed. Their customs and practices and religion are being, um, you know, purged from them, and or they're being killed or turned into slaves. And they're being uh, sexually exploited. They're being uh, prevented from having children. They're being forced abortion. I mean, that's that's as as uh, uh, abusive and uh, as it, it can almost get. And also, and we're going to get into the Falun Gong again, my understanding is um, there are actually the beginnings of at least uh, live organ harvesting of the Uyghurs along with Falun Gong for the black market in China for livers and kidneys and so forth transplant into hu- other human beings. People go to China to avoid the waiting lines, pay $100,000 and may end up with a liver in two weeks. Yeah, it's not really a black market. It's it's their market. It's um, <laughs> you know it's it's completely permissible there. Um, and again, you have this collaboration between the prison systems, the in these detention systems, the and um, the Communist Party and private hospitals and medical groups, clinics that are doing these transplants. They are the lo- world's largest uh, organ transplant industry. They surpass the United States. As you say, they, um, um, people seeking transplants only have to wait days or weeks to get a transplant. That's because it, it's called a, um, a transplant on demand because they're using a living bank of organ donors. These are involuntary donors, of course. Yeah, they're not donors. They're, they're being strip mined. Yeah, yeah. And they... Um, they are um, there. This has not been well um, uh, acknowledged or noticed by the international community. Um, it, it, there have been reports since uh, for 20 years that this was happening to the Falun Gong community. Falun Gong started reporting it that they had uh, tens of millions of people being detained, and many thousands of them were not ever resurfacing, or if they did, it was their remains that had been cremated and handed to their family saying that they died in prison with absolutely no accountability, of course. And there's a, there's a, there's a couple of reports, excellent reports uh, uh, pushed by David Kilgore and others um, that really have created a powerful uh, evidence case uh, for what is happening to Falun Gong Um even though you can't actually go into China and conduct investigations as, as should be done, it seems pretty clear that, that, that there's no denying that this has been occurring. There's, like I said, a, a refusal to take it up. Um, the, this, they, that also got new weight this year with uh, a letter that, that is David Kilgore and his associates, Ethan Gottman, um, David Mattis, they, they are experts that looked into this and have been since 2006 or seven and have taken enormous, you know, reams of testimony, not only from the the families of these victims, but also from medical personnel who were eyewitnesses. Um, And the same with the Uyghurs. I mean, there is no government investigation inside China by any government, Chinese or American or any Western government. Um, China conceals this. It's an area that's, uh, you know, um, a a no-go zone. So um, what you need to rely on is the um, testimony of family members or survivors or satellite imagery or government statistics. And that is also being used in the Falun Gong case, that that there are these enormous amount of tens of thousands of transplants each year, maybe as many as, you know, close to 100,000 transplants a year, far more than the United States. And, and the Chinese people are not known as as willing donors. I mean, they're they're whole. Well, they, until 2015, they didn't even have a voluntary donor pro, um, program, and um, they were the Chinese government at that point were saying that there were death row prisoners that were being used who were donating their organs um, because they wanted to pay society back. And um, then the, the, I think it was you know Kilgore's team that did the number crunching and found out that there's just no way that the, that the number of prisoners, which again was derived from um, government data, the death row prisoners, um, 
could supply all the organs necessary to do this, to, to supply this booming industry. And, and there have been books actually written here in the United States. There's one that uh, I particularly tend to criticize called Larry's Kidney. And it's about a fellow who's, uh, whose cousin needed a kidney. So they went to China and they got one within a month. And it was a given positive book review here in the New York Times and the Washington Post, that it was a tour de force, et cetera, et cetera. And I was thinking, wow, you know, real tour de force for the person who was tissue typed and murdered so that Larry's kidney could be transplanted. That's exactly right. They are tissue typed. Their blood samples are taken in detention. We do have that testimony from um, people who got out of prison. And and that was um, um, whose organs weren't taken because there are no survivors of this organ transplant. These are vital organs. We're talking about hearts and lungs and uh, livers uh, and kidneys. Um, so uh, the the UN, t- uh, 12 uh, independent experts on human rights in the UN system came out with an extraordinary letter this year in June saying that they were... Um, alarmed that they had credible evidence of reports and allegations that this was going on, that there was this organ, this forced organ harvesting for the transplant business in China, and that it was targeting um, exclusively, you know, targeting um, singled out uh, religious believers. And they said it was across all the religious minorities. Prim- you know, they, they didn't say it, but other, many everybody else has said it's primarily been Falun Gong. That's been the backbone of this industry since t- for 20 years, um, according to those to other studies. Um, but, but they mentioned Falun Gong, and they cited the Tibetan Buddhists, they cited the Christians, and they cited the weaker Muslims. That's just, that, that's really just stunning. And what's stunning is that they're, um, and, and these were 12 independent experts that didn't have to issue the letter at all. They were not under no mandate to do it, and they were probably under pressure not to do it. Yeah. And they, they were specialists in women's rights and torture and detention and health within the UN Human Rights Council. So they, they reported it to the council. The council completely ignored them because China sits on it. And there's an organ transplant task force in um, the UN that advises, actually advises the World Health Organization, the one, you know, that gained infamy during the pandemic um, for supporting China's um, deception about the origins of the the coronavirus. Uh, That task force um, came out and said this was, these were controversial claims and that they weren't going to pay any attention to them. And that task force, so that was the advisory group, the expert advisory group, and most of them are doctors and transplant surgeons themselves, including one from China, was actually created, that, tra- that task force advisory group to advise on the ethical practices of, for WHO um, of transplants, of organ transplants, was created by China itself. And they have their person sitting on it. And he was very influential, apparently, according to Matthew Robertson, who's a scholar from Australia um, with the Jamestown Foundation and the Victims of Communism Foundation. So so I want to get this straight. I don't mean to interrupt you, but the WHO, which I believe helped cover up the coronavirus um, problem uh, and has not exactly been... um, diligent in trying to really uncover whether the uh, it came out of a lab or whatever. Are you saying that they have a an organ transplant ethics advisory board that is refusing to take these allegations seriously? That's what I'm saying. And they're saying it's controversial, they don't want to get involved, and that it's the the the, the there is a very influential um, Chinese a transplant surgeon on the on the committee, on the task force, and China created the task force itself, almost as a preemptive measure. So the WHO is basically a creature of China right now, it seems to me, at least on these issues. Yeah, I think that China has made a concerted effort to um, take control of, of, of strategic UN yeah. um, bodies and, and other bodies. I mean, you see it with the... Um, 
Interpol, that they now have, they're again, the head of Interpol, which is the international police that will um, arrest people that they want arrested, dissidents around the world. But, but they, you know, they're known for this. They're known for this on the Human Rights Council, the UN as well. Well, they, they can do it because we let them get away with it. Let's turn to the, uh, to the Christians. Um, I, I was reading one of your articles and I was surprised uh, that there were there are about a hundred million Christians in China. Yes, that's right. It's the largest religious uh, minority in China, and um, not counting Buddhism. And and that's uh, we don't really have a handle on on how extensive Buddhism is practiced anymore in China. But it, it is it was um, flourishing for decades after the Mao period in China. Um, I think that growth is going to you're going to see a huge. Um, you know, freezing of that growth and a decline because um, of the repression. Um, they have uh, the, the government under uh, President Xi's uh, sinicization policy is now trying to uh, crush the underground, shutting down their churches and blowing up churches, arresting some pastors, throwing others in black jails. What, what are black jails? They are, are detention places, places of detention that are completely secret. Uh, they could be in a basement, in an empty building. They could be in the police headquarters. They could be in a hotel. They could be anywhere. But they're completely secret, and there's no uh, due process whatsoever afforded to the detainee. There's no sentence, so it's open-ended. It could be years. It could be months, or it could be days. And in those places, um, these Christians and others, um, especially Christian leaders, uh, are including priests and bishops, the Catholic Church as well as Protestant pastors, are uh, if they do not swear allegiance to the the Communist Party, are through the patriotic associations now under the con- which are under control of the United Front Work Department. Um, they um, are indoctrinated in these re-education sessions that are endless and and, and applied under tortures and beatings and sleep deprivation. Um, and uh, so, so this is, this is, a, this, this is like first century Christian persecution. It is. It's, um, they tend, I'm, you know, so far they tend to treat the Christians, uh, somewhat better. They don't dare do what they're doing to the Uyghurs, like a mass, um, mass detention. It's more strategic picking out those leaders that they, um, don't trust, and the social credit system is part of this. Tell us about that. Yeah, this is, again, a silent, um, very deceptive, um, hidden uh, punishment. They provided in their laws th- th- this year that they're going to um, have strict gatekeeping at all the houses of worship and that they were going to um, have a, a, a date- government database that would list their names and especially the leaders uh, of these uh, houses of worship and their um, their, their acts that gave their rewards and punishments. Now, punishments are never spelled out, but what we do know is that a number of Catholic bishops and pastors, Protestant pastors, have been deprived of everything from housing to utilities to their um, ministry. They cannot practice their ministries um, to uh, mass transportation and to education. So they are canceled in one area after another. And, uh, and sometimes their children are too, right? And sometimes their children and wives are as well. So this is uh, a silent toll because it, it's not graphic, it's not bloody. But if you're one bishop was sleeping on the steps of his rectory, he was turned out into the streets. He was evicted from his uh, house by the government. Um, after um, international protest of that, uh, this was the beginning at the coronavirus pandemic, the height of it over there, um, during the winter, January, um, they then allowed him back into his house, but said that he, but, but turned off all his utilities. He had no water, electricity, or heat. He could not live there, uh, during the winter. And he, uh, and he certainly couldn't practice his ministry. And so he went back to his village and said, I'm basically withdrawing because I can't, I can't do this. I mean, I can't, do what I'm supposed to be doing. I, and and it, if he meets with um, members of the congregation, he's followed, there's blanket surveillance. And that's something we haven't talked about, Wesley. We need to mention that is that Please do. blanket um, police surveillance 
through facial recognition cameras, um, you know, biometric uh, camera uh, scanning, um, gate, the way you work, walk, gate, gate recognition cameras, uh, and a network of spies, um, you know, everywhere around these um, religious leaders. I read somewhere that the um, facial recognition uh, is becoming so sophisticated in China that if there was like a stadium filled with people, China would be able to actually identify just about everybody there. That's right. And they do that through quantum computing and their massive databases. And um, they, um, they also have voice recognition and are um, ha- taking samples of dissidents and anybody in detention as uh, voice so they can recognize them from their phone calls. Um, or overhearing them somewhere. But you can't, the way it works is that you can't get on a bus because there's facial recognition cameras in the bus if you are one of these people who are marginalized, if you're canceled. And you you get thrown off. You get thrown off. Yeah, you can't. Because because an alarm goes off, we'll say, say, get them out of here. Yeah. And, um, you know, the same applies in many other venues. So um, It, it, it strikes me from what you're saying, that this could actually become the most, and maybe already is, effective tyranny we've ever seen. Yes. They're, they're aiming in all of this, whether it's the um, forced abortions or the uh, tra- organ transplants um, t- or, or this high-tech surveillance with combined with um, quantum computing and canceling, uh, and this is what's so dangerous about moving to, you know, uh, a digital mon- uh, financial system as well, as you just can't go use, you know, you can't buy anything, including food. No cash. Yeah. Um, you know, they're moving towards that. They want to be seen as an advanced country. They don't want blood on their hands. They're still using bloody means, um, but, uh, you know, beatings and other tortures, um, rape and so forth. But they're moving toward this really uh, brave new world of uh, an antiseptic, uh, not very graphic, uh, and very silent. Uh, and it's very, very comprehensive and it affecting the individual, not just leaders. So it can, it ha- as it grows, as this surveillance grows, as the quantum computing and the data collection grows, it can hit every single home in China. And, and if you and if you try to uh, stand athwart that, your children are the ones who could also be punished. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about in terms of the Christians. You know, Christians being told to deny your faith or you'll be killed. It goes back two thousand years, and a lot of Christians are able to do that. But if if you're told deny your faith or your children's not going to go to school, which means they're not going to be able to get a university degree, which means they're probably not going to be able to get married and you're not going to have any grandchildren, that could actually have a greater power to dissuade one from pursuing faith than, than blood martyrdom. Yeah, they're not being thrown to the lions. They're being, um, which has such an, you know, a visual impact. They're being told that uh, they're being canceled from buying pharmaceuticals or... yeah. Um, some other, you know, heat. Getting on a bus, having a job. Running water it's, in the um, city. It, it's, it's, it, I mean, cancel culture on stilts and, and with steroids because it's, it's um, tremendously tyrannical. And, and I can see the power of that oppression because people want to be able to lead normal lives, have families and, and you know, earn a living and so forth. Plus, uh, this will be beyond our scope, but they've moved away from pure communist ideology into more of a quasi-fascism because they have the, they've unleashed the power of the private sector, but then they still control the private sector to do government desires. That's right. And, and some of these moguls are now um, in prison or having their companies taken right. away from them as well. And, um, you know, and also one other thing on the Christians, they um, announced a blanket ban for all religions in 2018, prohibiting anyone under 18 from... Uh, entering a church or being educated in religion or being exposed to religion and participating in religion in any way. And the schools are more and more requiring them to um, swear to atheism and to be indoctrinated in atheism. So I think that we're going to see, you know, the Chinese are being very patient, but I think it's the same with the Uyghur population control that over in two generations, they may not be any Christians. 
Right, because there will have been no formation when they're young. Yes. And then the consequences of pursuing it when you're an adult are so extreme, most people aren't going to try. That's right. And they won't if even know about it. If there's anybody there to teach it yeah. and catechize them. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. the Bible is being altered, too. So, And this is a perfect example. Um, in a government um, uh, university last year, they altered the story of the adulterous woman in the New Testament. Now, that story has Jesus at the end saying, anyone who is without sin may throw the first stone to stone this woman. And he, know, he knew that everyone had sin. So everybody drifted away. And he went up to the woman and said, go forth and sin no more. You're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. So they altered that story to say, to have Jesus saying, I'm a sinner too, but, but you must be punished. Um, and he picks up a stone and, and kills her. So this, really, yes. So the, the point of the story was to show that um, however imperfect the communist party is, you must obey its laws or they will kill you. That's, that's a, that's a remarkable twisting of that, that story. <laughs> It is a remarkable, and I don't know why more Christians in the United States aren't up in arms or hearing about this. I'm glad you're hearing it, but um, they uh, want to, and this, it echoes actually what she had said um, in these classified documents that became apparent in the last month, um, and that is um, show no mercy. Show no mercy, and this is show the no sinicizing, mercy. as you called it, of of, mm-hmm. uh, of all religion in China. Of all religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's go, uh, you know, it even goes back before the Falun Gong to Tibet. Uh, the the uh, army of China occupied a, the sovereign nation of Tibet back in the early 50s, I believe. And um, since then, there's been an attempt to systematically commit um, cultural genocide against Buddhism, uh, Tibetan Buddhism in uh, in that country. And, and, you, and I was reading a story uh, recently, that uh, you you mentioned earlier that the Uyghurs are having their children removed to boarding schools. That's also happening in Tibet, so that the Tibetan children are not being exposed to Tibetan Buddhism, which is the cultural backbone of of that country. Yes, that is happening there, and their leadership is, of course, in exile. The Dalai Lama cannot enter China, and they won't even talk to him. Um, the Panchen Lama is a child that's selected to replace him, was kidnapped decades ago and has disappeared. And we don't know where if he was killed or where he is. Um, and they're, so they're selecting, as they are with the Catholic Church, their leaders. China is selecting the Tibetan leaders as they are the Catholic leaders, in much the same way the mm-hmm. Soviet Union selected the Eastern Orthodox bishops during Stalin. It seems even more extreme in China um, because they um, they may not even be of that faith originally, and um, they, in fact, some of the bishops in China were excommunicated by yeah. the prior pope yeah. um, before they were redeemed and under the agreement of the, the Vatican. But they, but you know, getting back to Tibet, um, you know, China has um, you know a supercomputer. Uh, uh, scanning data on the top of Mount Everest in the Tibetan region, scanning and collecting data on all of the Tibetan residents, um, but also, you know, from their cell phones or any other computers. Um, a lot of them have back doors, their apps. Um, Study the Great Nation is a, an app about sea sha- sayings that is required for certain um, professions in China. And also by certain companies now, a growing number of companies require it, um, mm-hmm. that you test uh, on your knowledge of this app. And that app has a, cu- a back door that allows super users, i.e. the Communist Party, to spy on everything in your phone, whether your smartphone, whether it's um, you know, your, your phone uh, calls, your, uh, your, your social media, your uh, web history. As a uh, hypothetical, if I happen to download one of the apps that you're describing, that actually opens a door for the Chinese communist spies to look at what I'm doing? That's right. They can even make phone calls from your phone without touching it. They can um, turn on your flashlight. TikTok TikTok has been, which is very popular among young people, has been accused of being part of this situation. 
Uh, yes, and Huawei um, products as well. And the phone. And so they, um, yeah, so they're collecting data on all the Tibetans through to having this, um, you know, high uh, signal or satellite. It's not a satellite. It's, a, it's, it's a mounted on Mount Everest, but also the rest of the region. Mount Everest. They can reach the rest of the region and collect data as That's well. That's just... And, uh, you know, you have to wonder what are they going to do with all this data? Uh, what what is going on? And I, I read one report that sounds plausible that they want to study um, genetics of people of different peoples to create designer pharmaceuticals and drugs for cures in the future. I mean, they're looking far ahead right. and dominate that field right. because then they will control it. And genetically engineer people. They could genetically engineer and, people. But you notice during COVID, um, they were a critical part of the supply chain for pharmaceuticals and uh, protective equipment. Yeah. And, and and we were dependent and still are. And we're dependent on a, in a lot of other areas. Uh, beca- because time is fleeting, let's move into you know what can be done about this. I, I've been really, um, you know, I, I was raised, you know, the idea of never again and all of that. And I don't think that just applies to anti-Semitism. We're dealing with a industrial strength uh, superpower that is engaging in, as you pointed out, genocide, uh, human rights atrocities, slavery, the very kinds of things that, uh, that, that we uh, are told uh, mark the worst of, of historical human history. And yet I see very little pushback. I see big corporations, the biggest corporations in the world cooperating with China. The very cooperation corporations, excuse me, for example, when Indiana wanted to pass a Religious Freedom Restoration Act, got into high dudgeon and said that's going to lead to discrimination and threaten boycotts, yet they work very closely with uh, Nike is an example with people, uh, a government that's engaged in genocide and, and they, and some of these companies, as we mentioned, might even be benefiting from slave labor. It's stunning. And, and we can't even get with the Olympics coming a boycott of the Olympics. Now it seems to me, and you tell me if I'm wrong about this, that one thing China does care a lot about is being respected and face what's known as face. Oh, yes, yes. They, um, they, they really want to be the new model for the world, the alternative to uh, democratic freedom. Uh, they, they think freedom is disorderly, it's chaotic, it's, uh, it's not peaceful enough, and that's what they can provide. Um, and, it, of course, with a big, heavy dose of nationalism. But um, they, um, they want the rest of the world to respect them. They do want respect. They don't want to admit to any of these crimes they're committing um, and they're hiding their genocide. Um, But they um, want the Olympics for that reason. They want the world to applaud them and say what a great Olympics this was and how the Chinese were able to bring it off without a hitch. Yeah, and this this creates an opportunity, it seems to me, and I think governments so far are failing that opportunity. President Biden, this is not a, uh, a podcast that gets into um, partisan politics, but he's announced a diplomatic boycott. But that just means that, you know, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris won't be going over there. That doesn't really mean much of anything. Uh, some other countries have announced a diplomatic boycott. But the Secretary General of the United Nations just announced he's going to those Olympics. Yeah, that's really shameful. And he's been shameful from the beginning. When I remember when uh, President Biden uh, came into office, he put out the word, that's the, the Gutierrez, the Secretary General of the UN, saying, get over your differences, meaning genocide, because that's what just had been announced by the outgoing Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, that there was a genocide against the Uyghurs. Gutierrez's response to that the same month was, get over your differences of values and get on with green energy. So in other words, and uh, our uh, negotiator for climate change, John Kerry, the former senator, basically said, "Well, you know, we have our differences with them about human rights, but we've got to we've got to do this, uh, you know, climate change fight." Well, if that becomes the only thing you care about, and China's not <laughs> reducing its emissions, I'm not sure what you're achieving. I think that um, 
we could go a lot further. There could be, um, I mean, it's, it's hopeless now to think that the United States would pull our athletes out. And, and, you know, a lot of people ha- are sympathized with the ath- athletes as well. Um, they should have done something far earlier to find another venue. But um, given that we're going there, I think that it's incumbent on the advertisers to either pull out or to um, show the dark side of China. I mean, if this is going to be just interviews of athletes and showing this backdrop of a beautiful, you know, city, sparkling city um, or countryside, then that's outrageous. It's a uh, it's propaganda for China. Right. And the Olympics is a propaganda opportunity for China. And that's how it's, it's, it seems to be playing out. But there's one thing I think all of us can do. Each and every one of us, and I've written this and I will write it again, we can refuse to watch it. We can refuse to participate in any way in it. We all have the power to turn our backs on China and make those ratings for for the Olympics so low, it will send a message, at least in terms of um, the people, of disrespect and disagreement with this kind of evil. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I mean, given that there's at least one genocide going on in China, maybe others, again, with the organ harvesting, um, we need to really step it up. Um, we need to um, stop importing. I mean, we're going to have to stop importing. With We're going to have to disengage from them economically. Yeah, we have to understand that, that it's all tainted. It's not just contained in an area of Xinjiang. It's, it's, um, these slaves are working throughout the country now. There's other genocides going on. Um, and we need to do more to raise the profile of that and to show, I mean, that's the only way it's going to change if, you know, is by exposing, constantly exposing the dark side of China. Constantly. That's right. And and the and media has to be asking questions about this again and again and again. And, and, and it strikes me that if, if people just say, oh, well, I like to watch ice skating, which of course, who doesn't? Well, I'm, then all we care about is entertainment and, and the Chinese will have our number. They will say, you know, these people claim to believe in human rights, but they really don't. They really don't care that much. And, you know, maybe that's something we're going to learn about ourselves. Well, I'm very worried about the medical profession because I think that they have, um, uh, are more interested in collaborating with these advanced scientists and and doctors in China than than they are about even preserving um, intellectual property um, in the United States. And the money has, it's like an octopus. It's the tentacles are everywhere. I uh, interviewed uh, a bioethicist named Bill Hur- uh, Ben Hurlbut um, uh, just a little while ago. And, and we talked about the problem of outsourcing ethics, that if we mm-hmm. don't, can't do something in this country, yes. you know, ethically, well, we'll just go to China and, right. and they can do it there because that's where ethics goes to die. And that's perfectly apt for the organ transplant. Absolutely. And, and that's another issue at some point. We'll, we're running out of time, so I don't want to keep going. But um, I'd like to talk about at some point what we can do to dissuade uh, the, the, this harvest uh, in terms of the customer, from the customer's perspective. I mean, we were able to stop um, people from going uh, overseas for child abuse and child sexual exploitation. It seems to me we can take those laws that do exist on, in that regard and apply them to the organ harvesting issue that we've talked about. And, and to stop our labs from, from, and, and, and hospitals from collaborating with, with the yeah. organ transplant surgeons of China. Yeah, this is going to have to become a, a much more elevated issue, and people are going to have to start caring about it uh, more than I think they do right now. Otherwise, instead of, you know, the idea when, when China was opened up was, well, we'll help China liberalize in terms of its economy, and they'll look more like us. What I think is happening is we're beginning to look more like China. I agree. But I think that there is a more receptivity after. I think the pandemic has taught us a lot. It's hit yeah. home and, and, and it doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon. Um, people are thinking hard uh, about how this all got out of hand and what caused it. And um, so I think that there is a receptivity now to um, hearing about China that didn't exist two years ago. So yeah, I, I hope so. I hope you're right. And, and I hope the international community gets engaged because the crimes that are being committed there are the kinds of crimes that have put lesser powerful people in the Hague, uh, you know, people from Romania yes. and other places like that. 
So um, I want to thank you for being with us. Um, what next for you uh, in this regard? What's your next project as you move forward in trying to protect religious liberty? Well, I'm going to continue to stay on this, uh, trying to expose uh, China's depredations. I mean, this is, you know, a government after all, a superpower that it wants that wants to get away with it. So I want to keep um, the pressure on in in Washington, in Congress, and um, and also, you know, I'm looking at um, Nigeria, where Islamic extremism is running. Yeah, it's not wild. just China, is it? <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, I hope people will continue to follow your work. Um, There will be in the program notes to this episode, there will be links to the Hudson Institute's uh, Center on Religious Freedom and some of your articles. And I hope people will continue to follow what you're doing because I think it's really important work. Thank you so much, Wesley. I really am very grateful to you. And thank you, Nina. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for listening to Humanize from Discovery Institute's Center on Human Exceptionalism, where human rights meet human responsibilities. Discover all the good work of the Center on Human Exceptionalism by visiting discovery.org human. We can only do this work speaking on behalf of human life, human thriving, and our exceptional place in this world and our cosmos with your support. We invite you to make a one-time gift today and to consider starting a monthly gift to support the Center on Human Exceptionalism and this show. Wherever you're listening to Humanize, please take a moment to rate and review the show. You matter. Your actions matter. Be bold, be exceptional, and be back soon.